July 28, 2023. We're in Masechet Betzah, and if you recall, the sugya that we're in the midst of learning, and hopefully we'll conclude today, is dealing with this issue, this concept of Shabbat being kova'at, and specifically in the context of ma'asev. And what we mean by that with regards to kivi'ah or kivi'ut, it means that it gives a certain permanence to the food that you're eating. In the context of ma'asev, it works like this. Uh, taking a tenth, which you would need to do in every year except for shemitah year and give it to the uh, levi, um, would be uh, a necessity specifically when you had fruit or produce that was nigmera melachta. In other words, you finish the production process and at that point, the way it would be then put into your mouth, at that moment you were hayab ma'aseh, you had to give a tenth to the uh, levi. Uh, when it comes to Shabbat, however, the halakha as we understood is, Shabbat is kova'at lema'asir. Shabbat, pasuk ve'karata la Shabbat onik, something about the nature of the day, the food that's eaten on the day. In the eyes of the rabbis, that gives a certain permanence to the food. And as a result, even though I'm eating it, quote unquote, as a snack, even though it's not, perhaps, that was the issue in our Gemara, finished its process, it might speed up the process. It might give it a permanence above and beyond. A, uh, there's no such thing as aray, as temporary, as a snack on Shabbat. And B, even if it's not nigmera milachto, which was really the core of the issue in our sugya, Shabbat will give it a kivi'ut even for that. Uh, parenthetically, but importantly, this issue comes up in Masechet Pesachim and Daf Amudalif. The Gemara over there says, Keshem she Shabbat kova'at lema'aser. The same way that Shabbat gives a permanence with regards to giving a tenth from the produce, as we're discussing. The statement in the Gemara is we have halachot that are derived from this concept of Shabbat giving a permanence. Like what? Well, let me read it to you from Shohan Aruch, Siman Resh Ayin Aleph, Sa'if Dalid, somewhat overlooked halacha. Asur lit'om kelum kodem kadesh. It's prohibited, it's forbidden. Prior to making Kiddush, both on Friday night and during the morning as well, after Tefillah, you're not allowed to eat at all, so you might justify if you have a practice of drinking, uh, maybe but water is permitted. Afilu ma'im. That's the halakha lema'aseh, which means to say you return from knis on Friday night, walk into your home and you're not ready for kiddush yet, but your mouth is parched, I'm just going to have a drink of water. Asur. Asur, that's what I'm saying. Nobody seems to know this one. Nobody, se- oh, your wife handled this one. Okay, but nobody seems to know this one. <coughs> Again, logically speaking, I would... Distinguish, I would say, before tefillah, we're all, many of us are drinking coffee or water before tefillah. Clearly, the water, the coffee doesn't have a permanence. It's not considered something that's a meal. It's uh, something just to get me through. The statement in turn of the Gemara and Pesachim of Shohan Aruch Halacha is the same way Shabbat gives a permanence for ma'asir, so too for kiddush, to the extent that even temporary stuff, even just water that's going into your mouth, it's prohibited. Um, that being the case, however, the poskim do, uh, again, they do level down with us. You know, for example, Mishnah uh, Burah writes, Veshare lirhot piv bimayim. You're allowed to wash, wash your mouth with water, but you're not supposed to be swallowing it. Your mouth is absolutely parched and Kiddush is an hour away. Okay, but really what we're talking about is in general, you're not supposed to be drinking at all before Kiddush. I, I caution again, we're talking really about Shabbat night and Shabbat day 
after tefillah. Prior to tefillah and Shabbat day, you're not obligated in Kiddush yet, and as a result, this halacha doesn't go into effect. That's why I love seeing it. 6.30 here on Shabbat morning, there's the coffee club. Coffee club is fully permitted. You haven't prayed yet, you're not hayav bekidush. But once you're hayav bekidush, we have a concept of the water being kavua, just like ma'asir on Shabbat, to the extent that you can't drink it beforehand. This is a wonderful question. This is a wonderful question. We assume, and it's a whole class, that after Kiryat HaTorah, once you're done with the whole segment known as Shachrit, which we include Lekula, some are Mahmi and say after Hazara and Shachrit, I would say after uh, Kiryat HaTorah, it's at that point. So a second candy during Musa would not be a problem. A second wow. candy during Kiryat HaTorah, Yesh Makom Lahakel, I'm comfortable doing so. Uh, when I went to summer camp back in the day, what they would do is, after Shachrit, we would go down to the lunchroom and make Kiddush. It was before Kiryat Torah, but we would make Kiddush so the kids were able to eat then, fully permitted. You couldn't do that uh, before Shachrit. You can't have a full meal beforehand or even a snack of that sort. You needed to make Kiddush then. But yes, the sucking candies that, that you might have over the course of Shachrit if, you know, in the appropriate way, would be permitted during Kriyat Torah, not during Musaf. I've seen more than once people giving them out during Musaf, and I've walked over and saw, quietly said not during Musaf for this reason. Same thing. Why any different? It's kavua, it's quite the opposite. Water's not kavua. But the halakha is that even water. That's Shohan Aruch. Okay, but that being the case, again, this all stems from the concept of Shabbat being kovah, that even something which is impermanent, we give it a certain sense of permanence. All right, that's a halakha l'ma'aseh matter that could and should be addressed. Another thing, just parenthetically, I'm trying to lighten the burden of what we're going to learn in a moment or two. Um, we saw cited in the Gemara a Mishnah. It was a Mishnah from Masechet Ma'asrot. And over there, without getting into the details yet, we were referring to eating olives. So I want to, for a moment, uh, spend, well, maybe two moments, uh, spend time talking about eating olives. The Gemara in Masechet Horayot on Daf Yod Gimal cites a Beraita. And in the Beraita, it talks about many types of foods which you shouldn't eat eat because they're kashim leshichicha, which means to say by eating them, you're prone to forgetfulness. Now how do we square that with reality? We accept the words of the rabbis. Not fully clear exactly always how they understood this, how we squared off with science, a long and important conversation to be had. But among those many things that are mentioned is haragil ba'achilat zetim, a person who oftentimes eats olives. And therefore, over the course of the last several hundred years, there's always been a debate. Are olives not supposed to be eaten? Are they allowed, they're allowed to be mixed into food? They're not telling you not to have olives. But olives perhaps shouldn't be eaten because the rabbis caution you, you'll be prone to forgetfulness from it. Could you do studies, academic, scientific ones, and be able to determine differently? Not the issue. The issue is, are the rabbis warning us from eating olives? This was and is a debate until today. Ya'avetz, that's Rabbi Yaakov Emden, an important German rabbi, lived some almost 300 years ago, in his book, Mor Uxia, and Siman Kof Ayin, writes that you have to pay attention to the words of the Gemara. Haragil bezetim. It's someone who oftentimes has them on a consistent basis, not someone who has them as an hors d'oeuvre before the meal or after the meal and snacks on it. It's ragil. It's a person who in some way or fashion is 
I don't know how this would be. Really making a meal, I just don't know how that would be. Who makes a meal? Whoever made a meal? I don't, but that's his suggestion. He furthermore suggests that it's talking about raw olives as opposed to olives which are pickled, which generally speaking we're dealing with that. They're already moistened. Um, those are the two angles with regards to this matter in terms of leniency. Lastly, they quote from Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Arbach and others that maybe we're talking about, and apparently this was the Minhag of Yerushalayim some 100 years ago or so, that it's, just ha it's an olive, even if it's raw, it's not mixed with anything else. So he used to suggest that people just put a little bit of olive oil on it, and then it's okay. Again, is this an issue which is asur? Certainly not. Is it an issue which the rabbis spoke about? It is. In order to have an appreciation for their words, uh, we want to go into the depth of what they maybe were implying with that, but alternatively, at the same time, in terms of practice, there's little uh, issues with regards to contemporary maybe consumption of olives. What's that? Could be, but it's funny that the Gemara would be cautioning you from that. Again, I'm, I, I want to be clear that the Kashim L'Shikha, although we do pay attention to them, they're not per se halakha, it's not in Shohan Aruch. It's a caution of the rabbis, it's a suggestion. We want to be respectful to their words, and as a result, we deal with them and we deliberate and try to understand it. But, oh, that's why I'm mentioning it. Because in our Gemara, we cited a Mishnah, you're eating olives. Did you listen to that? And in fact, Yaakov Emden brings proof from those, this case, and I think one or two others. You see, it's okay. Okay, Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky in his book, I think it's called Sefer Hazikaron or Sefer Hazikronot, published in his book, Siyah Hasadeh, he says, no, 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 this is talking about, you just happened to pop it in. That's Haragil. So you can't bring a proof from here that the rabbis were doing it at the same time. Okay. Is there any other fruits or vegetables? Or maybe there was, oh, that's true. It says, says, uh, says Jeffrey Further, it's in the Ma'atan. It's already mixed in with some olive oil. That's what Rabbi Orbach and others suggested. True. Are there yeah. any other fruits or vegetables that, are, that, that have that, like mushrooms? Arambam has medical stuff. There's a list over there in my Sechet Horayot. If you'd like, we can go through it, uh, or maybe not. Uh, anyway, uh, th that being the case, they get, uh, what I want to just caution and make, make understand, understood as well is even when and if it's not in the physical sense, when the Hachamim said that, we say, all right, that's the reality in terms of our physical, we are become forgetful through having olives. Even if you speak to a scientist, the question is, and, and I mean this, is, and I'm not addressing this right now, at the depth of their words, what was their omeka peshat? What were they saying about olives? What's the concept that they were trying to get across? Anytime there's a midrash or even a halakha, there's a depth to it beyond the physical side. So even if the physical side either changed or they never was, and not the issue with regards to this sort of matter in my mind. It's what are they speaking about? What are they trying to tell us? You always have to ask that question when we learn how Horayot will do so. But here, the Gemara, let's, let's get through this Gemara and understand the Sugya properly. If you recall, there's a lot of introduction. Again, it's two classes introduction, but briefly stated. As we mentioned just a moment or two ago, Shabbat is kovat lemaaseh. The question was with regards to something shelo nigmera melachto, with regards to something that you plan on, for our purposes, drying it, but it's not yet dried, and you eat from it on Shabbat, is it hayav b'ma'aser or not? Generally speaking, if it's lo nigmera melachto, it's not hayav b'ma'aser. If you were to take it into your home, which generally speaking is the time and place where it becomes hayav b'ma'aser, if it's lo nigmera melachto, if you plan on drying it, it's not hayav b'ma'aser, it's Shabbat different. The statement that we had in the Gemara, Rava posed this question to Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman said, I learned, I received, Shabbat has such a strength, such a kivi'ut, such a permanent status, that it makes it kovi'a l'ma'asir, even shelog nigmera melachto. Get in there. Uh, the Morzutra, one step removed still, uh, um, Eli. Morzutra came ahead and he said, Dad, 
Abba, I have a proof for you from our Mishnah. His father was Rav Nachman Morozutra. says, our Mishnah might support that tradition that you have because our Mishnah was talking about, and here we are, you're at, looking at the fruits and vegetables which are drying on your roof, and you make a declaration, I'm going to eat from these tomorrow on Shabbat, on Yom Tov. And a whole pile of them on the roof over there. In such a circumstance, says the Mishnah, provided that, you're not obligated in Ma'asir. Provided that it's Shemitah year, you can then go and eat from them the next day. Wait a second. You're planning on them being dried out. They're not yet dried out. Why should they be Hayab b'Ma'asir? We said only if it's Nigmira Melachto, only if you finish the process of where you want to get, are you then Hayab b'Ma'asir? So I made that declaration. Shouldn't matter. Suggests Morzutra Shabbat gave it the permanence to the extent that even though I didn't yet dry them out, they're already obligated Maaser. The only time this would be in turn okay to do, so to speak, is on Shemitah when they're not Hayab Maaser. Go ahead. And also my intention was to dry them out, 100%. That's why I they're on my roof. That's why they're on my roof. Exactly. They're but on my roof. I brought them in my house and the day is Shabbat. I said, you know something, honey? We don't really have great vegetables. I know we're not finished with the procedure up there. I know we were really waiting for that. Let's have some, or let's just bring them in before they're finished drying. That's why we'd have an issue of mukseh after all, because this is hazeh la hazeh. In other words, it's something that most people wouldn't be eating from. I'm gonna bring down 10, 15 of them on Shabbat. I look at the whole thing, I say, listen, most of these are gonna stay out to dry. That's really what I wanna do with them. They're half dried already. Uh, we don't have vegetables. All right, so let's have some of these. That's the case. That's why we had an issue of muksir, keep in mind. Otherwise, it's vegetables. What's the issue? And that's why we, in turn, have an either issue or no issue with regards to maaseh. That was that suggestion in the Gemara. So we're still on daf lamedalet Now we're making our way to the final point here, getting to daf lamedhamud. Aleph says the Gemara, not a good proof. I'll tell you why, not a good proof per se. Over there, you made a declaration. Your declaration was, I'm going to eat from these on Shabbat. It's not that Shabbat gave it the permanence, it's that you gave it the permanence. When you turned to your wife, when your wife turned to you and said, let's eat from these, you were saying, for these, we finished the process. But you didn't finish the process. No, but I made a statement, I finished the process. So you can't bring proof from this, you can't deduce from this that Shabbat gives a permanence. Your words gave the permanence. Why not? Okay, so I'm going to make. Yes, I, I don't see why you would distinguish. All right, that much is what the Gemara suggests. The top of Daf Lamed Hei now has a challenge on that deflection. So the deflection was it was because of your statement that they got the permanence, and now we're going to challenge that deflection. How are we going to challenge that? We call it a Dehiya, that deflection, like this. The Gemara, and we just began, spent a good 20, 25 minutes introducing it, but let's try to understand it now in context. The Gemara now gives us a concept. The concept is motaro chozer, which means to say, if, and the example we're going to read about is when I have a ma'atan, I have a vat filled with olives. Now, if I take out one olive and pop it into my mouth, even if I dip it into salt, that's achilat aray. That's a temporary, non-permanent eating, and as a result, no chayuv b'ma'asir in such a circumstance. It didn't finish its process. You plan on turning it into olive oil. I put it into my mouth. I'm not chayab b'ma'asir. What if I took out ten? Ten is already, uh, I don't know if it's a meal, but it's, yeah. it's close to a meal. It's uh, got a minyan already. It's qualified. And as I put in front of me, ten is already ke'en se'uda. And as a result, you could maybe should have a problem with regards to ma'asir. I'm already establishing it. So I eat two or three of them, and now I have seven left over. 
all other issues notwithstanding, Tuman, Tahara, whatever. The case is, if I could take the seven and place them back into the vat afterwards, nothing was Hayav B'ma'asir. One second, you put ten in front of you, but I only ate from three. But when you put the ten in front of you, wasn't that a meal? Didn't you place on the table a place setting and a fork and a nut? I did, but I was only planning on eating from three of them. But you put ten out on the table, ten, a hundred, whatever it is. But in my mind, or at the very least, my actions proved that when I put everything back into the vat afterwards, this was all just a snack, and I had a selection for my snack. That's called motaro jose. The fact that the leftover, the amount that would make it into the meal, is going back into the initial place, and could go so seamlessly, means that everything I ate is determined almost retroactively as temporary. I'll pause and analyze that for a moment and think about that in our context. You had a speech in our case. The woman or the man stand at their roof and look at a pile of vegetables or of fruits and they say, this is what I'm going to eat from on Shabbat. There's a large pile of fruit that's all drying out on your roof. Ultimately speaking, all I did was speak. On Shabbat, I grabbed a few and I ate from them. If the whole issue is my utterance, my speech, in saying that I will be eating from this, and that's what gave it the permanence, well, not really. I then took two or three. It's, so to speak, returning the rest to the initial place afterwards. I gave myself the smorgasbord of, of, of options I could take from any of these vegetables or fruits on Shabbat. But ultimately speaking, I didn't eat from all of them. It's no different than the case where we just talked about. I took ten out, put them down. Oh, permanence, but I only ate three and I put the seven back in. I only ate two, I put the eight back in. Whatever the case is, over here as well. You didn't give it permanence by making a statement. What you do afterwards? It, it's even even less severe than taking 10 and putting it on my plate. It's just saying, I'm going to eat from all this. You're not really going to eat from all this. You're going to eat a little bit of it. You can't argue without Shabbat's involvement in giving it a permanence that according to the Bili Ezes, whose opinion we're dealing with, who maintains that when you place the things back in, it was never Hayab b'ma'asir, that this case should be any different. That's what the Gemara set forth for us in our last class. Let's read it again in the Gemara at the top of Daf Lamedhea Mudal. Says the Gemara, the Halo Motaro Hoser. Are we not in this situation where the produce is, is out on the roof, ready and prepared to be dried out? It's a situation through my statement of Motaro Hoser. I've done no action of permanent. Uh, um, uh, something to this produce. I've just made a statement. And ultimately speaking, I'm not taking from all that. And ultimately speaking, I'm not having a permanent meal with it. And we heard, we learned from Rabili Ezer elsewhere, his statement was, and we're going to understand how very briefly, because we did this the other day, Rabili Ezer's statement is that when it's Motaro Hoseh, when the leftover that which made it permanent, but I'm not eating from it, could go back in. Similar or even better to our, in our case, where I didn't touch any of this produce which is lying out to be dry. I didn't touch it, I just took a few of it. You're not going to tell me that I established this as permanent through my statement that I might eat or I could eat from any of it. Where do we learn that Rabbi Li'ez's opinion is such? Maybe it's not so. You put 10 on the plate, you designated the whole roof as edible, that's permanent. The Tanan, as the Mishnah teaches the following. And you might recall this case, we learned it two days ago. If a person takes olives from a vat, 
ve'ochel. What you can do without a problem because it's called achilat aray. It's an impermanent, temporary eating. Take one, dip it in salt. Even dip it in salt, says Rashi. You didn't give it a permanence and eat it in your mouth. No problem. Vim tavav v'natan lefanav asara. If alternatively you took ten, hayav. Now you're hayav ma'aser. We're calling that kevi'ut. We're calling that permanence. That's more of a meal. Rabbi Li'ezer omer min ha'ma'atan tahor hayav min ha'ma'atan tameh patur. Rabbi Li'ezer distinguishes between if the vat is tameh, if it's impure, or if it's pure. What's the difference? The Gemara will delineate. We'll make that clear for us in a moment. Let's speak it out outside for a moment. Again, it goes like this. The question is by removing that stuff and putting it on my plate, am I now actually able to put it back into the vat in the same way? I hear you. No, no, no. It's, it says, it says, Apparently you can. Apparently you can. I don't know. Because keep in mind, no, I'm telling you, when it says Tameh, he's patur. It's even when you dip. It's like, I don't know. I, we have to work in vats of uh, olive oil more often. I, I, apparently it's still okay, but it's an interesting here. But the statement of the Gemara goes as follows. The person, the assumption is, based on our circumstance, is Tameh. He's impure. And as a result, by removing and eating and touching these olives, even though he wants to put seven back in, he can only put seven back in if the vat as well is Tameh. In other words, if the olives in there are tamis, so then he's not changing any status. He's taking those and he puts them back in. In that situation, well, he took three, he ate from three, even though he put ten out, and he really put it back. Alternatively, if the vat is tahor, in one of three ways we discussed the other day, he got them out without contaminating it, he can't put them back in. But again, all these technicalities are just to make the point that Abili Ez's opinion is, motaro hozer patur, right? If you can put back afterwards, similar to our case, even though you collected a lot, you're not hayab ma'asir. Ve'havinan ba, says the Gemara, they had a question, ma'ishina resha, ma'ishina sefa, what's the difference with regards to the tameh or the tahor situation of the vat, pure or impure? Ve'amar bi'avau resha b'ma'atan tahor v'gavra tameh. The first case is uh, where the Bili'ezah said it would be hayab ma'asir, where the vat is pure, the person is impure, de'lamatzeh mehader leh, he can not in this situation return those olives. Sefa b'ma'atan tameh v'gavra so in turn, the Gemara then, again, in, in questioning our deflection, the Gemara says, you can't or shouldn't be arguing that according to Rabbi Li'ezer, when I made a statement, he's the opinion in our Mishnah, that I'm going to eat from this produce on Shabbat, that gives it permanence. It doesn't give it permanence. If you ate just a little bit of it, that's not the permanence. It has to be Shabbat gave the permanence. Says the Gemara, Matnitin name be mukse tahor, the gavra tame de la matse mehaderle. The suggestion of the Gemara in defending the deflection, we're like six steps removed over here, says the Gemara, maybe our Mishnah as well, is talking about how those fruits and vegetables which are strewn out, which are spread out on the roof, they are tahor, and the person is tame. And as a result, we've established the situation of, I can't return it. Why can't I return the stuff that I took? Because I'm changing the status of it. What are you talking about? Remember the words in our Mishnah? What were the words in the Mishnah? Did you touch anything in our Mishnah? 
All you did was make a statement. I'm going to eat from this. Says the Gemara, you never removed them. There was no grabbing olives and putting it on my plate in our Mishnah. Our Mishnah was a statement. I'm going to eat from the stuff that's out on the roof. I took a little bit of it. Chalas. There's no giving back or taking. As a result, the Gemara upholds its deflection over here. And the Gemara says that you perhaps have a proof in this circumstance that according to Rabbi Ezer at the very least, Shabbat gives a permanence to Maaser even when it's lo nigmera melachto. And you have to still wrap your head around the whole concept. But the Gemara continues and we trudge forward. Says the Gemara, Ela amar shimi bar ashe, Rabbi Eliezer ka amarta, Rabbi Eliezer leta'ameh, de amar teruma kave'ah, Shabbat. Says the Gemara, says Rav Shimi, he says, I, I can't accept your proof because Rabbi Le'ezer is an anomaly. He's an outlying opinion. What do we mean by that? Again, the whole context, the whole issue of our Gemara, to again break it down in the halachic terminology is, is Shabbat kovat, give a permanence to the snack, even when the snack was lo nigmera melachto. The fruits and vegetables are still going to be turned into oil or dried out, but you haven't done so yet. And you want to consume from it, you want to eat from it on Shabbat. Does it now get an elevated status of everything's permanent on Shabbat? Vikarat ala Shabbat oni. Rabbi Eliezer, we have a proof from our Mishnah holds that you do. Says Gemara Rabbi Eliezer is a bad example. Why is he a bad example? Rabbi Eliezer in general is very liberal, or very stringent rather, with regards to his understanding of kivi'ut. For example, not too complicated, but an extra additional concept which we're familiar with. Not only is there ma'aser, that were the matanot, the uh, obligations of giving donations with regards to your produce, is something called tirumah. Whereas ma'aser rishon was given to the levi, who in turn would take a tenth and give to the kohen, tirumah was given directly to the kohen. What's tirumah? Tirumah is a portion from your produce as well. How much? People make the mistake of saying a tenth. A lot less than a tenth. How much was given? The Torah gives us no specific amount. The hachamim say either a 30th, a 40th, or a 50th. A 50th if you're, if you're uh, frugal, a 30th if you're very giving, a 40th if you're a regular guy. But that's what tirumah is. Okay, so the circumstance goes as follows in turn. I have my dried fruits, but they're not finished being dried. And I have intention to finish them being dried. And my Kohen friend is coming over for lunch. And so I say to him, you know something? I have the perfect food for you. What do you have? I have tiruma. I'll take from that dried fruit and give you it for tiruma. He's looking at you funny. You didn't finish drying it. But what's he going to do? He'll take it. Now, effectively, what you've done is you've beat the system. You've, you've gone earlier than the system. Before it finished drying out, I took tiruma and gave it to the Kohen, right? So again, I walked up and I took a 30th, because I'm very giving, I like my friend, and I give him the, uh, kind of, because I'm giving him not fully dried out fruit, but the point is I'm giving him the fruit before it's nigmera melachtan, the vegetables, before it finished the process, and I'm taking tiruma from it. Now I say, okay, now that I handled that, I'm gonna take a little bit of these fruits and vegetables for myself. Am I allowed to do so? Well, I gave tenuma. I don't need to give maaser yet. I'm only snacking on it. The halacha, according to the Biliezer, is once I gave it to my friend, Mr. Cohen, Tal, Gindi, whatever, Dweck, once I gave him that, I've said through my action of tenuma that this fruit, these vegetables are finished. 
I said, that's the Digmera Melachtan. By designating part of it for Tiruma, I in turn made a statement about the whole thing. I'm Hayab B'Maaseh. Says the Gemara, that's Rabbi Eliezer. If Rabbi Eliezer maintains that, so then he maintains that by Shabbat. That's why you can't bring a proof in general that Shabbat has a status of giving more permanence. Rabbi Eliezer maintains that with regards to Tiruma. He'll maintain that by Shabbat. By Tiruma, that exact same case, the Hachamim disagree with Rabbi Eliezer. According to the Hachamim, I don't change the status of the fruit. I gave a present to my friend, the Kohen, but now with regards to the rest of it, I'm not Hayat B'Maaser yet. According to them, you can't prove that Shabbat has this strong, this strong uh, potency. Are we only concerned about Tiruma and when you come to restrictions here? Is that the only thing that we're worried about here? Those are our issues but here. Everything else, as far as designation on Shabbat, doesn't make the food not edible or anything like that. It just makes it that you have to give some of it away. Yes, correct. But keep in mind, you're in a lot of trouble. Once, once Shabbat has that designation thing, and you haven't separated it before Shabbat, you're not allowed to separate it on Shabbat. So you can't until after Shabbat. Until after Shabbat. But that's all we're worried about. That's, what, that's our issue. That's our issue. The way I made it a little bit more relevant for us was with regards to Kiddush, by saying that we imagine Shabbat as giving a permanence, even halakha l'ma'asir. But yes, now, once upon a time, it was a pretty serious thing. Says the Gemara Ditnan, Rabbi Eliezer's opinion elsewhere, says the following, If you took tiruma from fruits before their gemar melacha, before they were finished their process, their procedure, of what you're going to do with them, we said before they're fully dried out, Rabbi Eliezer oser lechol mehen arai. Rabbi Eliezer's opinion is you've made a statement through your action of giving tiruma that they are done enough. You now need to take ma'asir. Hachamim matirin and hachamim disagree. Hachamim say it's mutar. Okay, so the Gemara in turn suggests for us that we can't derive from Rabbi Li'ezer Shabbat with regards to Ma'asir that Shabbat gives the permanence. Says the Gemara in its final statement, kind of, on this issue. But wait a second, it wasn't only Rabbi Li'ezer in our Mishnah, we had Chachamim as well. In other words, your deflection was Rabbi Li'ezer, oh, he's very stringent with regards to this. Chachamim had a statement in our Mishnah as well. Remember Chachamim? Back to our Mishnah, and uh, Alan, it'll, it'll re- remind us of what we were really talking about initially in our Mishnah. We were talking about Mukseh in our Mishnah. Remember the case in our Mishnah. There are the dried out or the half dried out fruits and vegetables on the roof, and I want to eat from them on Shabbat. Just make a statement. Just say, Tomorrow I'm going to eat from this. Tomorrow I'm going to have some of this. That's Mukseh is averted, but it's got to be Shemitah year, right? Where you're not Hayav Maaseh. Hachamim Senorah, you need to be Mesamin. You need to put a marker here and there. And, but Hachamim then, in principle, agree with the concept over here that Shabbat is giving a permanence to the extent that I would need to take Maaseh. So that's what the Gemara says, Tashema Misefa. We can then finally deduce from the final, the, the last words in the Mishnah. What are the last words in the Mishnah? V'hachamim omrim, ad shiyashom v'yomar mikan ad kan, ta'ama de'erev Shabbat shevi'it, de'lav barat isurehu, ha'bisha'ar shaneh shavua, di'bene isureh ninhu asurim. 
The only reason the rabbis are permitting taking in this circumstance and eating from those fruits or vegetables that are out on the roof is because it's shidi'it, because it's shemitayir, where you're not hayab b'ma'asir. Even though it's lo nigmera melachtan, even though you didn't finish the procedure, the process of what you plan on doing and drying these fully out, nonetheless, they would be hayab b'ma'asir because it's Shabbat. You see, Hachamim's opinion is, in turn as well, that Shabbat is kovat l'ma'asir, even when it's lo nigmera melachtan. My ta'ama lav mishum de Shabbat kade'ah, is the reason not because, in other words, a rhetorical question, of course it is, because Shabbat gives it that permanence, says the Gemara, lo, same deflections we dealt with earlier, we're going to just rehash in the world of Hachamim, shane hatam kevan de'amar mikan ve'atkan ani ochel lemahar kava'le. Says the Gemara, no, you can't bring a proof from Hachamim, we're just redoing what we did in Rebili Ezer, because after all there was a designation. The words were give the permanence, not Shabbat per se. Remember how we dealt with this earlier when we had this, the Gemara said, if that's the case, at the bottom of Daf Lamidal Damud Bet, why are you teaching this in the context of Shabbat? Why don't you teach this in the context of uh, Maaser? Why isn't this in Masech and Maaserot? If it's because of your words and not because of Shabbat. Remember the answer? The answer was if you went ahead and violated what Alan and I were talking about earlier. You went ahead and you did take the tenth on Shabbat. What's the halakha? We're deducing from our Mishnah, it's still permitted to eat. Whereas sometimes you would say it's Mukseme Hamati Sur, you might say it's Maase Shabbat. Over here, since it's only forbidden Midrabbanan, I'm rehashing what we learned a lot earlier, somewhat quickly, so we can conclude this sugya appropriately. Um, so says the Gemara, uh, If this is the case, if really your issue over here is only that it's Hayab Maase because of your words, teach this by Maase, it's Halakha Maase, Hakamash Ma'nan, the Hidush over here is the Tevil Muchan Wetzel Shabbat Shim Avar the Hidush over here is that when it comes to Shabbat, if you went ahead and you did separate, even though you weren't supposed to separate, it doesn't pose an issue which is known as, which is referred to as Mukseme Hamati Sur or Maase Shabbat that you're forbidden to get from that afterwards. Okay, that being the case, for all intents and purposes, we concluded the sugya. There's one last statement. We finished the nitty gritty. There's one last question that we have for all intents and purposes over here, and that is the following. We established then, when all the dust settles, we have a proof from Rabbi Eliezer. Let's remember Rabbi Eliezer's opinion. Rabbi Eliezer's opinion, both by Terumah, but we're accepting even by Shabbat, goes as follows. Shabbat, and if you were to take Terumah, Kodem Shinigmera Melachtan, before you finish the drawing out of this produce, it's Hayav Bema'aser. Shabbat has that status. Vikarata la Shabbat. Onik, the Gemara cited, to give any snack the status of a meal. Your Hayav Bema'aser. What about the following theoretical situation? Uraminhi. What about the following situation? Uraminhi means we're asking a contradiction from the next statement. Now, without reading it inside, because we won't do that right now, I'll introduce it to you as follows. The second part of what we're about to read. The second part of what we're about to read is the following. I began before Shabbat with an eshkol shil anavim. I grabbed, say? I grabbed a cluster of grapes and I start popping them into my mouth. That's achilat arai. I don't know why you say connected. Ultimately speaking, I take one off and I pop it into my mouth. And the next one, and I have a bunch, a cluster of, of grapes, and I'm eating them before Shabbat. No chiyub ma'aser yet. I'm just snacking on them. Shabbat arrives. What's the status now on Shabbat? 
Well, interesting. Before Shabbat, as I was putting them into my mouth, I had one status. When Shabbat arrives, uh, do they change their status? Rabbi Le'ezer's opinion is, Yigmor. You're allowed to finish eating them on Shabbat. Jared, if anything, according to your claim that they're all together, well, then I started before Shabbat popping them into my mouth. It was temporary. It should continue as temporary. Rabbi Le'ezer's opinion is... Yigmor. Now, Rabili Ezer, what's that? So that's what Jared's arguing, that's what you guys are arguing, but ultimately speaking, let's just be clear about what just happened over here. I started snacking on them. Shabbat arrived. No such thing as a snack. We should now say, according to Rabili Ezer, I can't finish eating them. We should now say, according to Rabili Ezer, I need to take a tenth before I'm going to finish eating them. Rabili Ezer is the opinion who told us, Shabbat is kovat. I don't care that you started snacking. It's no longer a snack time. You already showed it was a snack before. Yeah, but you already established the status. You're right. Shabbat gives it a new status. Shouldn't it? That's the question we're going to pose. If you're telling me, according to Rabili Ezer, even when lo nigmeram milachtan, Shabbat is kovat, how come over there he's going to say, I can finish eating it? I understand Jared's going to argue a cluster, the Gemara's going to have a different deflection. I understand you're all arguing, you already said it's a snack, but Shabbat, no such thing as snack time any longer. I was like, what do you mean snack? I've never heard of a snack on Shabbat. Why isn't Shabbat kovat over here? That's the next issue, and the Gemara will conclude for all intents and purposes this sugya with that. Baruch Adonai Amen, amen.